Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to a Thursday night special edition of Way in Sports Talk. I'm your host, Brian Tarvin. Just had to get one more night in. We didn't get Jonathan and I and Trey. We, we talked as much as we could, and we ran out of time. I'm not going to do that tonight. We're going to at least go an hour. want to get some things uh, in college football to talk about. What I want to do tonight is kind of go over some games that are happening this weekend and also the teams that are relevant to making the playoffs. We're actually looking at the schedule of those teams and maybe kind of projecting, predicting, whatever it is you want to call it, who's going to be there at the end, which teams have roadblocks, the toughest roadblocks, the biggest hurdles, because it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if, if a team like Memphis ends up being in it because of pandemonium happening. I mean, just, just wreckage, carnage during college football. And Jonathan... You know as well as I do, when weekends like this occur, you you really, if you're a top team, you have to be careful because, you know, it's just like you let your guard down for one minute in college football, you're beat. And there there is no tomorrow if you lose this time of year, especially the team that you're supposed to beat by two or three touchdowns. Uh, exactly. I mean, it, that's, you, know, you hit it right on there. Um, it, you know, if you suffer a loss at this point to a team that, is a middling team, is a struggling team. You can kiss every hope of the uh, of a good postseason goodbye. I mean, you know, here here's your consolation bowl. You know, I mean, we saw we might have seen it last week with you know Florida State, uh, unfortunately, and we could still see it happen in the next couple of weeks. I mean, this is a great time of the year, unless you are one of the top teams, because you're always looking over your shoulder. Yeah, and it's it's what have you done for me lately? Stanford to me has been forgiven you know, for that Northwestern performance, that first game. But if they lost the Northwestern now, it's over. I mean, and, it, it's, it's, and I still wonder about Ole Miss. Does that loss to Memphis like that really hurt the chances if, if they do somehow find a way to win the SEC to make the playoff when you have a one-loss Pac-12 champion? You have a one-loss Big 12 champion. You have a one-loss ACC. That's what's going to be the interesting part. I, I do think the SEC champion will have two losses. But it's but it's how are they going to come about those two losses? That's that's the key. Um, it's just so hard to predict right now. But but the one team, like I'll tell you that that we talked about last night, Ohio State looks like they you know they should be able to get in there. But that schedule's tough. TCU's on tonight, Johnson. What do you think about a West Virginia team that seems like they've had TCU's number right now at seventeen to ten? TCU's got the ball with two minutes left in the half, but if TCU loses tonight, I think it's over. That's a perfect example of a team. I think if TCU loses right now, they don't have enough to come back from, do they? No, no. If TCU loses, even if they win out, I, I think they, the the perception is that that conference is down. 
um, you know, Oklahoma's not really Oklahoma, and Baylor with their injured quarterback, I don't know how many people actually expect them to be able to keep, you know, a competitive team against, you know, your your Oklahoma. I mean, can Baylor, can Oklahoma sneak up and beat Baylor now that um, that they've lost uh, Seth Russell? So it's definitely going to be interesting to see how uh, this game progresses because this is a really big game for, for TCU. And again, tonight I want to talk about teams that that have a shot to make the playoffs, the teams that have a chance to play spoiler. And let's start right now, Auburn Ole Miss, Jonathan. We're not going to talk too long about this game, but if you're an Alabama fan, who are you pulling for Saturday between Ole Miss and Auburn? Oh, man, you know it's a tough one because of the deep rivalry between Alabama and Auburn, but I think you're rooting for Auburn. And the reason behind that is you want Ole Miss out of your way. And also, if Auburn wins that game, all of a sudden Auburn looks a little better for that game at the end of the year. You know, does that make the loss to Ole Miss look a little worse? Yeah, but if Ole Miss can win out from here on, uh, they'll be fine. But Bama needs Ole Miss to lose at some point. See, but some of the Alabama fans can't picture that. Not only it's 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 two ways, and just like you said, it's not only are you getting Ole Miss out of Alabama's way, so all of a sudden when Alabama plays LSU in two weeks or next weekend, they control their own destiny at that point. Because and, and that's a that's something that Alabama hasn't been able to do in a while. They've usually backed into it. But Ole Miss is gone if Auburn beats them. But you make a valid point. All of a sudden, what if you have an eight and three Auburn team play in an Iron Bowl against a ten and one Bama team? How how big would that be for the SEC to show? Wow, I mean these are some premier rival games coming up. Auburn could possibly be ranked if they beat Ole Miss, A and M, and Georgia. I mean Auburn's going to be ranked again. Irrelevant. Three losses after eleven weeks. Not bad, you know. If I you told me that was going to happen, I would I would be ecstatic. But Ole Miss the season, this is a lot of pressure, and this is where Ole Miss to me seems to crumble. So, give you some betting advice, and you tell me what you think, Jonathan. I'm not I'm not taking Auburn plus seven and a half this weekend. If I'm going to touch this game, I'm going to take the money line in Auburn. Plays plus it pays plus two forty. I think if Auburn covers, they win, Jonathan. Am I crazy for thinking that way? No, because there is that high shot that if they are in this game, that they're going to win this game. Because, you know, looking at it right now, Auburn shouldn't even be, you know, within 14 points. So if if this game's close, I'm going to get the edge to Auburn because I don't know if mentally uh, Ole Miss can handle playing in a tight game right now. Yeah, I just think the pressure is going to be pretty tight now because, you know, after that Ole Miss loss and the way they lost to Florida, they bounced back. But but I don't want everybody to kid yourself right now that A&M right now is going through something major. And it's that week after you play Alabama, man, these teams suck. I mean, we've seen it year in and year out. Take your bye week after Alabama, not before. Jonathan and Ole Miss is a team that, you know, or excuse me, A and M. They played Bama. They were so flat the other day. I just Ole Miss and say, wow, it's because Ole Miss was so dominant. I just think there are a lot of issues going on at A and M right now. So this will be a true test for Ole Miss to see, especially if Carl Lawson is back in this lineup for Auburn. 
put him in on third downs, and if Auburn can get off the field on third downs, Ole Miss is gone. I'm telling you, if, if Ole Miss can, or if Auburn can somehow get Ole Miss off the field, because this is going to be a two-touchdown win for Ole Miss at least, or Auburn's going to be able to win the game. I'm not, I'm not feeling a win for Auburn. I'm just, I'll put it that way to you. I'm not, I don't think Auburn's going to win this game, but. Jonathan, let's ask Quinn real quick what he thinks. He's an Auburn fan. Quinn, what do you think about this Ole Miss game? Do you like Auburn's chances? What are you looking for? Yeah, I think Auburn wins. Why? Why? Because um, I have a lot. I have. I think. Uh, well, I think Austin will be back. And then uh, I, I, I just I. Yes, I don't really think highly of Ole Miss. I think uh, I think they can. I think the defense can do enough, and then I think the offense will do what it's been doing the last few weeks. So. I think if Auburn puts up over thirty points, they win this game. I think it'll be like thirty-five, twenty-eight, mm-hmm. somewhere in that well, ballpark. That's a good prediction, and and one thing that that I think Quinn is. Playing an Arkansas team is very physical. You played LSU. You play different teams that present different matchups, different problems. And I think Auburn has seen it all. I think they've grown a lot. I know you can't tell sometimes that they were, they're improving, especially on the defensive side of the ball, but they are. But if, if you have a Carl Lawson in this lineup tomorrow night or Saturday night or Saturday morning, whatever the heck time that they're playing, that's going to make everybody else on that defense better, man. That's, that's what people – it's not just one man. Carl Lawson is one man, but he represents so much more for this defense, yeah. for this team. He's the leader. Carl Lawson's the leader of Auburn. It's not Sean White. It's not Casanova McKenzie. The leader is Carl Lawson, and if he's back on that field, that's going to inspire everyone. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, mm-hmm. Jonathan, who do you like, man? I know you said you liked Ole Miss last night. Tell me, have you changed your mind since last night? I, I Finding out that Lawson's playing does make me do a double take, but, I mean, Ole Miss, if I'm not mistaken, is getting tongue so bad. And, and that's oh, yeah. huge. I mean, that that's is huge. huge. No, I mean, you're they, talking they, about they got him back last week. They, they, no, he actually, and the good thing about it, for Ole Miss is he actually got to play last week and get a game under his belt. They ran the ball better than they have all year because he's probably the best offensive lineman in the country. Exactly, and that's huge. I mean, I think he's a phenomenal player. Um, I really enjoy watching him watching him play. I know that sounds weird because he's a lineman, but it's just one of the positions I watch. I'm still going to take Ole Miss to win this game. Um, I know it's a tricky line at like seven, seven and a half, so you, you know, you're trying to figure out how you're going to play that. Uh, I, I'm just going to say this right now. After what I saw last week, um, I don't trust Auburn to beat anybody. Cause, I, they they shouldn't have – that game should have never gone to overtime. I don't even want to get into how poor and officiating that was. Um, but, you know, once you got to overtime, every time the defense needed to make a stop, the secondary let them down. And, I mean, I don't know if Lawson helps the secondary that just they, – they can't stop in those games. He does. He does. The pressure, it's all about pressure, Jonathan. I mean, you look at Auburn when they struggle, they're not getting pressure on the quarterback. When Lawson was in the game, I know it was a half, so let's, and let's, let's go back, Jonathan. Louisville's not that good. We know that. So 
but when Lawson was in the game against Louisville, I was in person watching it. He physically dominated that entire game. I mean, he, he had like two sacks, tackles, three hurries. He, he called that interception. So when you leave these corners, these freshman corners on an island, all game long, man-to-man cover, that's what Auburn runs, and you get no pressure, I mean, you just can't match up with these type of receivers they're going up against. And Treadwell, if you don't get if you don't get pressure on this guy, you know to get pressure on the quarterback, he's going to light you up. Ingram, the tight end, is going to light you up. Ole Miss has so many weapons, Jonathan, that could just tear apart this Auburn secondary if Lawson's not in this game. Yep. <laughs> uh, that that's all interesting and, and very valid points to me and. I didn't realize that he hadn't been back since the first half of that Louisville game. I had no idea. And you're right, in that first half, Auburn's defense was dominant. So maybe he does make a huge difference. Um, I mean, is this game in, in Auburn or is it in Mississippi? It's in Jordan-Hare Stadium. Oh. Yeah, it's going to be a tough game. It's going to be a fun game. Um I don't know. I mean, if, if with Nick and Dietschy coming back, maybe Ole Miss can get some pressure on Sean White and force him into making some pressure mistakes. I'm still going to lean Ole Miss on this one, but nothing would surprise me. Well, well, Jonathan, I have Quinn on the line, and I, I need to talk to Quinn a minute. We're not Like I said, we're only going to talk about Auburn in a minute. But, Quinn, I know you're high on Sean White and everything, but I'm telling you, man, and, and this is from an Auburn man that loves him more than anybody and I, I, sometimes I'm too loving of people, but this guy is not the guy that's going to take Auburn to an SEC championship game. I mean, next year, if Sean White's our quarterback, maybe an eight-win season. I looked at the schedule and came out. What do you like so much about this kid? And, and I, I have to have a dual-threat quarterback in Auburn to be you able to You value too much. You value too much. And I think he can do enough on his feet to get the job done. And I think you've got to trust Gus. I haven't seen it. I've seen, I, I can't I saw see him it. move around. I mean, hell, Peyton Manning moves around, but he also gets sacked. I mean, what what can he do to put fear? Well, what I noticed, Quinn, and and, I, and trust me, I'm not putting your opinion down. I'm trying for you to change me because it seems like everybody out there has a different opinion than me on this. But what I see are a lot of people – stacking the box up against Auburn. That's why you see Peyton Barber having to work his butt off for three yards. He's getting every bit of it because people are stacking the box and stopping the run. And they they, they do not respect Sean White as a runner. Of course, he's kept it once or twice for a couple of yards. But when you had like a Nick Marshall in that offense, you, you take back, let's rewind to the 2013 SEC championship game. Missouri had 18 men in the box and Auburn ran for about 500 on them. That's that was the kind of offense with Jay Prosh at fullback and Nick Marshall at quarterback, Trey Mason at running back. Jonathan, that was a scary offense with a dual-threat quarterback. Nick Marshall ran the zone read better than anybody. And I think, and Jonathan, you're, you're neutral on this, what, what, what put fear in you more, a drop-back passer at Auburn or a quarterback that can do both? Well, I mean, from what, we, what I've seen – you know, and granted, my, my views of the dropback passer at Auburn have really been limited under Malzahn, have been limited to uh, Sean White and Jeremy Johnson because Jeremy Johnson didn't run the football. So, I mean, looking at it, Nick Marshall and Cam Newton both 
scared me. And they're both excellent quarterbacks. Both those guys were excellent quarterbacks. Everybody, there was a lot of complaints about Nick Marshall, but he did enough to win the game. And I think that's an underrated asset with him. Uh, I mean, just looking at it, I think to run that offense, you need a you need a true dual threat quarterback, not somebody who can move around a little bit, maybe pick up five yards. Yeah, and Quinn, I'm gonna tell you this: if if Sean White's the quarterback for against Alabama, I mean, how do you see Sean White matching up against an Alabama team that if they know you're one dimensional, really, are you standing in the pocket? That's where you're gonna be. How are you gonna beat Alabama? That's what I'm going to ask. Short, uh, short passes. Uh, the reason how you get people out of the box is if you're passing the ball all over them. So then they have to respect the passing game. That's how. That's how Sean White's going to get guys for our running backs to open it up. If if, yeah, he, if, he, if ball, he's though. a really good passer. Our guys couldn't catch water if they fell out of a boat. Couldn't hit water if they fell out of a boat. I mean, they're hitting them right in their hands and they're dropping them ten times on Saturday. Passes were yeah. dropped right in their hands. That's not Sean White's fault. No. So, and, I, and look, I'm, I'm not trying to put the kid down for everybody out there. I'm an Auburn man. I'll support whatever Gus decides. But there's a reason, Quinn. And, Jonathan, you can tell what you want on this. There's a reason he's going to East Mississippi Junior College out there to get the kid that transferred from Florida State that just lit up the junior college right now. There's a reason why he offered him. You don't offer a JUCO quarterback of that caliber to bring him in to sit on the bench. Am I right, Jonathan? Is this a guy you're going to bring in to start? Yeah, Franklin's very talented. Um, I, I, you know, I got to you know study him a little bit from you know what little time he spent at Florida State, um, and he's definitely a very talented dual threat quarterback, very mobile. Um, from what I've heard, he's got a strong arm. It's just an accuracy issue, which I mean you see with guys who have really strong arms, Marcus Russell, uh, Brett Favre, guys like that. They've all had his, their issues with uh, you know accuracy, but I mean. If Franklin, if he comes to Auburn, he's going to start. He's not riding the bench behind anyone. Yeah. So all of a sudden, you're I didn't know Jeremy about Johnson that. Trans- you didn't know? I didn't yeah, they, know they that offered, offered him. Okay. Yeah, a couple of days ago they did, which to me, it sends a message that, I mean, I know you want competition, but if you if you want competition, you, you go bring in a five-star freshman let him redshirt, let him try to earn a position. You bring in a JUCO, and Jonathan, you saw it at Florida State. It, it's a slap in the face of some of these other quarterbacks, and they're getting out of dodge. So I wouldn't be surprised if Sean White and Jeremy Johnson both transfer if he does this. It would be uh, in their best interest professionally to do so, because uh, Franklin still, I believe, will only be a sophomore. So he'll have two years of eligibility, and there's no way he's leaving for the draft after next year. Um so I mean, it's it would make sense. And Sean White, I think there's I, I I do believe there's talent there. I believe he's a talented, talented pocket passer, and I think he would do much better somewhere else as long as he doesn't transfer to uh, you know Alabama because I think he he you know doesn't want to fear for his safety. Well, Auburn would let him do that anyway. <laughs> Uh, you're not going to transfer. They're not going to let you transfer to the rival usually. I don't know. They may. They may. We've received players. But, Quinn, just wanted to throw that out there about Sean White. Maybe he'll make a believer out of me 
once he wins a big game. And, you know, he beat Kentucky on the road, which took guts. Against Mississippi State, I thought he played very well. He made a couple little mistakes. But this kid has been perfect, and I like his grit. I look at Sean White, and I look in his eyes, and I see a confident quarterback that's not a freshman in my mind. I think this kid plays with a junior, so I like him a lot. The only thing, if he's going to be quarterback for Auburn, I want to see him be able to run the football. I think he's fast enough to. You're right. I think he can do enough, but Gus is going to have to run his own read. He's going to have to keep it sometimes. But looking at the Wildcat, Jonathan, I don't know if you paid attention to it or not. Kerry and Johnson is electric for Auburn right now. And it's like the Wildcat worked for them. For some reason, they run that power, and Auburn can block. That offensive line is getting better. And, Jonathan, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the fullback play for Auburn is getting better. When Jay Prosh left in two, after 2013, I told people on this show that was the most valuable person we lost. Yeah, and people he was good. At me a little bit. Yeah, and, and it's like now they have two freshmen, and Petaway and what's the other guy's name? The white Cox. He, yeah, Chandler Cox. Chandler, Jonathan. I think. Yeah. Yeah, Chandler Cox, the, Jonathan, when these fullbacks start blocking, that's when Auburn becomes dangerous. Do you remember that? I do. I remember you talking about how important Jabe Frosch was to the program. Uh, and, and, and you know, at the time it was, you know, it's a fullback, but being a Florida State fan, I knew exactly where you were coming from because uh, <laughs> how much Lonnie Fryer meant to us. Uh, the year that we uh, we won the Orange Bowl. I mean, Lonnie Pryor was huge for that team. Without Lonnie Pryor, we don't we're we're not even in some of those games. So I knew yeah. exactly what you were going at. And oh. I, you're right, that Wildcat against Kentucky. My goodness, that was impressive. And Arkansas, and Arkansas. I mean, it was impressive. And, I mean, I that was efficient. But but I'm gonna tell you how good Auburn was in 2013, and Florida State was. That was – and, Jonathan, you, you've seen Florida State teams for years and years and years. That was one of the best I've ever seen. Florida State came in, and after that Clemson game, they proved a point, taking anybody lightly. We're kicking butt, taking names. I don't remember any close games for Florida State that year. Maybe one. Maybe they had one, but that was a no. very good Florida team, our Florida State team. That, that Auburn game was the only close game we had. And, I mean, th- this is going to sound ridiculous, but – 23 guys on that team are on NFL teams right now. 23 of them. It's unreal. Most of our defense, except for two of the starters on that defense, are starting in the NFL. It's unreal the amount of talent we had on that team. You're never going to see another team like that at Florida State. And I hate saying that, but it's true. It was unreal what we had in that field and what we put together. Well, I'll correct you on that. Boston College... Boston College kept out a game with you guys for a little bit. Yeah, that was a, a one-game thing, and everybody has one game. But that Florida State team put fear in people where you saw what Auburn was doing to people at the end of the season, how they were running. Auburn was a 10-point underdog, I think, opening up at that. that. That tells you a lot right there. I think it was 10-and-a-half at game time. Florida State was the real deal. Auburn came in with with a dual-threat quarterback, Nick Marshall, and a, a fullback that could just run over anybody, and Trey Mason, how valuable he was. But I just wanted to throw out something real quick before we move off Auburn, guys. Since I'm an Auburn fan, you know, sometimes I want to talk about him a little more. 
But, Jonathan and Quinn, I saw a stat today that 14 players from last year's Auburn team are active on NFL rosters right now. And and I, I guess, why couldn't I see that we were going to struggle? Why couldn't all these analysts see, Jonathan, that, that Auburn could struggle? You lose that kind of talent, especially with the offensive line, your entire backfield, your quarterback, keep people off defense. How do you not have growing pains? And I, I just can't believe everybody in America missed it. Yeah. <laughs> so you're right. I mean, it's the same thing Florida State's going through this year. Obviously not on as great of a scale as you guys, you know, the struggles you guys have faced. And that's the problem when you're breaking in a young quarterback. We got lucky and landed a, uh, a, a graduate transfer. Um, but you're right. I mean, there were a lot of teams who lost a lot of talent last year, and we should have seen slides coming, and we didn't necessarily see them. Auburn and Oregon being the two main teams where you had an exodus of talent, and you know we're like, oh well, they're you know those are still great programs. They're gonna they're bringing back a, you know some really good talent that was unproven. I mean, you know that that was the thing we were hit, we were sitting there saying these teams are gonna be playoff contenders, and we had never really seen any of these kids play. Yeah, and and uh, you know the next year I I start for I've learned a lot doing this radio show and having to be, you know, more than one team looking at them and everything, but. When I'm looking at a team from now on, the schedule is very important. And Auburn's got a great one next year. They have a great one this year. They they should be coasting right now. I mean, it was set up perfect for them. But you look at the offensive line when you lose three, four people, I don't care how talented these guys are coming in. They're inexperienced. You don't lose a Remington four-year All-American starter at center and not have a drop-off. You don't lose your entire running back field did not struggle. You don't lose a quarterback that started two years for you, took you to a national championship game and not struggle. So look at the offensive line, defensive lines. Look at that. Uh, the linebacker core was back. They sucked anyway. I should have known that. I don't care if, if Jesus yeah. came down and coached them. They still suck. I mean, yeah. it, it's got to be it's got to be freshman, sophomore talent coming in. Auburn's going to be good in the future. Florida State's going to be real good again in the future. Uh, but I just wanted to throw that out there real quick. That yeah. Auburn's 4-3 and three right now. We're lucky to be 4-3. and three, But and, and, and Auburn fans out there listening, I know I have a lot of people that listen that are Auburn fans. Even if we lose Saturday to Ole Miss and we lose to A&M, we beat Idaho, I really do believe this, that we can beat Georgia and Alabama by the end of the year in Auburn. So it's not a terrible season. We've got to grow. We've got to learn. And I think Carl Lawson being back is key. If we have Carl Lawson back, it's going to take him a little while, Jonathan, to come back. You don't just come back all of a sudden, I think. I think it may take him a game or two to kind of get back and, and get the playing time back. But on third down, if you just use him on third down, he's going to be disruptive. And just say half the time he gets him off the field on third down, Auburn could, could have won two or three more games this year had he been in the lineup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, a great pass rusher makes all the difference. It does, man. Look at look at Nick Fairley, man. When he was on Auburn, our defense sucks. But one thing about it, he was going to put hell on a quarterback and everybody else is better. But congratulations to Carl Lawson for getting healthy. I hope and pray he stays healthy for him. This is a kid with integrity. This is a kid that does it the right way. And a kid that apologized to his team in tears, telling them he was sorry that he couldn't play. And, I mean, that that just tells it all right there. So, 
So let's move off of Auburn. I know Jonathan's like, screw Auburn. They pissed me off last week. They cost me some money in that four-overtime game. So I'm going to move <laughs> off to him. Um, let's move to Georgia-Florida. This is a game that last night I was on Florida, Jonathan. Um, Georgia, I think you have to watch out for Georgia this week because they're the underdog. And I don't know if you know this stat or not I heard today. This is the first time Georgia's been an underdog since the prayer at Jordan-Hare in 2013. So Georgia's not used to being in an underdog role, kind of like Alabama, all of a sudden. And and how much does revenge come into this game? You know this rivalry very well, Jonathan, being a Florida Gator hater. Um, You you know this rivalry. Florida's a a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I think revenge part in this game this weekend. Oh, it's huge. I mean, you, I've heard nonstop all week, that, you know, chatter, chatter, chatter about how, you know, Georgia's going to come back and get what's theirs. And, you know, that last year was a fluke. Florida shouldn't have been in it. You know, and it, it's really it's really added to what could be a, a phenomenal game. And look, looking at this game, Georgia being an underdog, don't think the players don't know the line. Georgia being an underdog is flat to their face. Uh, they're, they're they're coming out heated. They still have a good defense, and you know what? Lambert just has to be conservative because they still have two phenomenal running backs and Sony Michelle and Keith Marshall. I mean, people forget about them. We focus so much on Nick Chubb and how great yeah. I mean and great he is that we forget that they're three deep. They, they're number two and number three running backs could start at most major institutions, and if given the playing time, could be first-round picks as well. Exactly. And I look at I look at this, and you remember Alabama came in, and Alabama has destroyed team on the road. You know, I think Georgia was a little overrated um, with the quarterback, but how much did the Lambert grow up, you know, after losing to Alabama like that, losing to Tennessee? They lost Chubb the first play of the game having to learn to play without him the next week, you know, after losing two in a row, the hangover effect, looking at the bye week, looking at Florida. This is a team that's had two weeks to prepare without him, without Chubb, without making a game plan around him. And Lambert, I've seen Lambert be very good. And I honestly look at Florida. They Yes, they have improved. Um, I think they're a little better, but I'm not trusting the quarterback play. The defense is only going to hold up so long, but, Am I dumb to say that I like Georgia's defense better than Florida's, Jonathan? Am I am I crazy for thinking that? I just I just like the coach better at Georgia, and I like the athleticism on defense. You know what? I, I I'm going to be honest, and yes, this is the uh, you know oh well, you're a Florida State fan. So what does your opinion matter? But I am so sick and tired of not caring about Florida's defense. I really am, because we've seen them get exposed before. We've seen this best secondary in the nation, get exposed for. And you know what, guys? Last time I checked, you're not DBU. LSU's not DBU. Florida State has the most defensive back playing in the NFL right now. So both of y'all just need to shut up. And, and Tennessee put 27 on them. I mean, East Carolina put 24 on them. New Mexico State put 13 on them. LSU put 35 on them. I mean, you know, let, let's let's look at Georgia for a minute. You know, I, I'm I'm throwing those numbers out to you. Yeah, Alabama put up 38. Tennessee put up 38. But before that, I mean, their defense was playing good. And I just think that sometimes you can get exposed when your offense is playing bad. 
as Georgia's did against Alabama and Tennessee, your defense struggles, right, Jonathan? I mean, your defense can pay the price for that when you're on the field. And then I'm going to flip it over to Quinn in just a second, but how much of those Georgia defensive struggles came because the offense couldn't really produce? A, a, a whole lot of them, especially in the Alabama game. I mean, you had, what, a pick six and a fumble return and a block putt for a touchdown? I mean, I want to say that all happened rapid fire, too. So it wasn't even like the defense had a chance. All of a sudden, yeah. uh, Alabama's defensive special teams are putting up points, and the defense is sitting on the sideline going, are you kidding me? We can't even get on the field to stop them because you're just giving them free touchdowns. And I think that's what was the most frustrating thing for Georgia's defense and why I think they laid down after that. I fully believe, watching that game, I said, Georgia's laid, the defense is laid down. They're done. They just looked at all of a sudden it was block punt, pick six, and interception, which led to a wide-open touchdown pass. It was 21 points scored by Bama in like five minutes, and they ran one offensive play. It was ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly and switched, right. That punt switched the whole game, too. Exactly. Quinn, you, you're familiar with both of these teams. I mean, do you think Mark Rick has heard for two weeks how, you know, he, he needs to be fired? And you know how the players at Georgia feel about Mark Rick. They love him. I mean, yeah. The players would kill for him. What do you think this Georgia team is going to look like after scoring nine points against Missouri, losing the two prior games previous to Missouri, and having this bye week thinking about Florida? Because this is their rival game. This is it. This is the main game on their schedule. Uh, I don't think they're going to look better. I think Florida wins 28-14. My God. Just, he just throws a score out, Jonathan. That's what I love about Quinn. They're so there's no huge analysis. He's already done the analysis. He's not sharing that analysis. He's just giving us the score, 28 to 14. I, I think mm. I think their team revolved a lot around Nick Chubb, and now that he's gone, I, I think most of their offense is gone. I could well, be wrong. But, 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 but Jonathan, Jonathan, I mean, Jonathan made a great point, Quinn, about the running backs they have are phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Chubb. Chubb's a good running back. Don't get me wrong. One of the best in the country. But I'm just – I think Chubb was a little bit overhyped, honestly. I think he was overrun, too. I mean, my God, they used him. Like, I've never seen anybody give him 82 carries a game. I mean, eventually he's going to wear out. And Jonathan, do you think Georgia's running backs are good enough to carry the load? I mean, they're good to the outside. They can get to the edge, which I think Florida, that's their strength. But do they have a running back, in your opinion, that can get in between the tackles and actually get some first downs? I know Georgia likes to use the fullback, so I know we're going to see the fullback some of these third down and short situations. Yeah, I think Michelle can run between the tackles. Uh, It doesn't look like it. If you look at him, he looks like a scrawny little feller, but I think he can get in between the tackles. And they have another running back. Oh, he's escaped me. He's a white kid. Uh, Douglas. Douglas can't get between the tackles. He'll pound that rock up the middle. That 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 kid I have full faith in can go ahead and get it done for him. So I think Georgia's going to be able to run the football. They're going to throw three running backs up Florida and say try and stop it and then go play action deep. You know, and, and it's going to be great to watch. It's going to be a real good cat and mouse game between Georgia's offense and Florida's defense. Coaching, who are you going to give the edge to? I'm tired of hearing about McElwain, how great he is. He looks like a spoiled brat on the sideline, always whining and complaining. But 
I'm, I'm sorry. I know people think I hate Florida, and I don't hate Florida. It's not that I hate Florida. I hate Florida fans for the most part, and and I really don't like their coach. I think he's an arrogant sob. I think he's playing with much chance recruits, and I think we'll see. I mean, we'll, we will see how he does. So if Florida loses this game, just let's pretend Florida loses to Georgia. What is that going to look like? I know they're not going to – Florida is a playoff contender if Florida – if they will run out, run the table with one loss, win the SEC, I think Florida is in the playoff. Jonathan, do you agree with that? I would agree. If Florida run, can run the table from here on out, they're they're in the playoff. Quinn, do you agree? I'd agree. Okay. What happens if Florida loses this game? That gives them two losses. In the SEC, they still play Florida State, and they still have a shot to win the East because I'm not convinced Georgia is going to beat Auburn. Uh, I mean, I don't see an SEC game Florida is going to play. So a two-loss Florida team, could they beat a West team, Jonathan, in the SEC championship? They could, but I don't think it would happen. Um, and even if they did, I don't think they'd be put in the playoff. I mean, because we got to remember, they, they, there's a ranking out there talking about the, the conferences. And the SEC East is only, I want to say, slightly ahead of, like, the uh, American West. You know, it's, the wor- <laughs> it's technically the worst Power Five conference out there. So and that, that's, that's a real struggle for Florida. All right. Well, guys, I want to play some looking ahead. I mean, and, again, we don't have many good games this weekend, okay? So, I want to have some fun tonight, and I want to start with Stanford. Stanford ranked, I don't know where they're going to be. Well, first of all, when the playoff committee comes out, just say that Stanford, you know, who they play this weekend, they play Washington State. They go on the road. They win that game. Let's, looking after that first game, they they beat Southern Cal on the road by 10, which is showing to be a good win. They beat Oregon State pretty bad on the road. They beat Arizona like a drum. They killed UCLA. They beat Washington handily. Jonathan, would it be crazy if Stanford is in the top five Tuesday night? They win. Just say they win this weekend. Would it surprise you if Stanford's the top five team in the committee's eyes? Because you watch them right now, they're playing better football than anybody in the country. It wouldn't surprise me. Do I have them as a top five team right now? No, but that doesn't mean that you know I'm I'm the end all be all of uh, of ranking. Uh, yes, you are. Um, I mean, they're a good team. You are. Though. They're playing really well. They're well coached, and I think they deserve some consideration. And you know what? All all if the chips you know end where they're at, they're going to have to beat Utah who has beaten some good teams this year to get into the playoffs. So that that's definitely, I mean, you know, the Pac-12, I think, is a victim of its own parody at the end of the day. It is. It is. And you look at Quinn, you see Washington State at Colorado. They get to play Oregon and Stanford. They play California at home, and they play Notre Dame at home. If Stanford runs this table and they beat a, a Utah team in the championship, is Stanford worthy? Of a playoff in your in your mind, being a one loss yes. team, a Pac twelve yes. champion. Yeah, I agree. But, with you. Uh, yep, I do. But I think they'll have two losses. I do too. I do too. I'm, I mean, I'm not. 
I'm not putting them there, but I'm saying if. I know you're yeah. saying Notre Dame is going to beat them. You say Notre Dame is going to beat the New England Patriots. Well, I get that. No, you're I saying, wouldn't I like say that. <laughs> <laughs> Take a joke in stride, man. Come on. You know I love you, Quinn, and Notre Dame. You, you've actually, Quinn, I'm going to give Quinn some props here. Quinn has become a, a real good analyst with football. And you, maybe you have been forever, but I know you more. But on radio, Quinn, I've gotten some uh, some comments about you, how much how much you know about football and how eloquent you are talking about it. So so kudos to you, big man. And, uh, Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us on this show. And, being on the panel with us, I mean, we I met some great people on this show, but I just wanted to throw that out. But I have been told that, that Quinn loves Notre Dame, man, and he's going to pick them every game. Have you ever not picked Notre Dame to win a game? Um, I would say <laughs> no. I never picked against Auburn either, but I've been shaky, and I uh, sometimes went before the season when I – and doing predictions, I'll I'll be real with myself. I won't tell anybody that I pick against them, but every once in a while I might. Like when yeah. they played well, Alabama in the national championship game, I was pretty shaky about that. But Yeah, but you're just tired of people running their mouth about Notre Dame. That's why you pick Notre Dame. Yeah. You were just hoping. You were just hoping. Well, let's move yeah. to another team right quick. Iowa. All right. Here they are, Jonathan. Set up nicely. They played Maryland at Indiana, Minnesota, Purdue, and Nebraska on the road. I mean, I mean, they, they could lose a Nebraska game maybe. I mean, I doubt it. But here's a team that could go 12-0, and 0, right? I mean, just, just easily, 12-0. and 0. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because last year I I bought high on Iowa stock. Um, I thought they they could be a team that wins, uh, you know, like 10 games and really shakes up the Big Ten, and they really proved me wrong. Well, it looks like I might have just been a year early. This is just a well-coached, fundamentally sound, uh, well, you know, disciplined football team. I mean, that that's the thing right now. They they force you to make mistakes because they won't make them. Yeah, but, but you know, what surprised me about Iowa this year, and, and looking at their schedule, yeah, beating Wisconsin on the road, I'm impressed with that. Beating Northwestern on the road 40-10, to 10, I'm impressed with that. So, for the, in Pittsburgh, they beat them. They're ranked. They're getting beat right now. But, I mean, Iowa hasn't played the killer schedule, but they've had some tough games. I mean, they, they deserve, I mean, to be undefeated right now is saying something. I don't, I don't care who you are with this schedule to say it, you're undefeated. But what surprised me is they lost to Tennessee the way they got thumped by Tennessee in that bowl game. They were down by about 28 points, 35 points early. Usually a team that loses a bowl game like that, they just don't respond well the next year. But if Iowa somehow wins and they just say they beat Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship, does an undefeated Iowa team get in the playoffs? Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Do? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. okay. I'm just well, well, in, no doubt. Okay, I was in. Just say, what if, uh, what if Clemson's undefeated? What if Baylor's undefeated? What if LSU runs the table? 
And they say Stanford wins the Pac-12 with one loss. I mean, I, well, let's say, well, you're right. I don't see a way how an undefeated Iowa team, Big Ten, gets left out. There's no way. You're right. Yeah, especially if they beat Ohio State for the for the championship. Yeah, you're right. Guys, you're both right looking at it. But is there a scenario here where uh, let's, let's go to the Big 12, and when I say Big 12, let's, let's group them together, start with Oklahoma. Right now, Oklahoma, for some reason, they laid an egg and lost to Texas, right? They beat Kansas State on the road 55 to nothing. They beat Texas Tech 63 to 27. Looking at their schedule, it's tough. And this is where Oklahoma could really just do stuff in the rankings. They play at Baylor, even with a quarterback situation, at Baylor, TCU, back in Norman, and at Oklahoma State. Those are three top 12 teams right there. Jonathan, if Oklahoma runs the table, that means they win the Big 12, right? They they win it. Yeah, no, no, no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Uh, they run the table. Not only do they win the Big 12, but they they become a very dangerous team for a you know, coming playoff time. Yeah, they do. Will they get in, Quinn? What a what a one loss Oklahoma team, Big 12 champion. And it's truly not a champion because probably Baylor would have one loss, TCU would have one loss, Oklahoma would have one loss. Who would the, who would the Big Twelve put as a champion? I mean, would they say three true champions co- or three co-champions? Ah, <laughs> uh, they have tiebreakers now. They actually went ahead and went to a tiebreaker system to declare okay. one champion. So Oklahoma Ooh. would be, if they run their schedule, if Oklahoma would be the top-ranked BCS team, right? I mean, they're not BCS team, but the top-ranked team in committee's eyes, I'm assuming. Yeah. 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 So I'm, I'm, am I crazy to kind of favor Oklahoma in the Big 12 right now? No, I wouldn't say that. I no. Mean, we've, seen, we've seen defensive issues with TCU. They, they I believe it's 13 – uh, key contributors from last year's squad um, are either out, suspended, or graduated. So they obviously have some holes that they need to fill. Um, and, you know, Baylor losing Russell Hurts, and nobody's ever said that uh, Baylor has a, a a tough defense. So I, I think for for Oklahoma, you know, they're not they're not out of this. That that I still look at that Texas game and say it's just you know yeah. it, it's a Anything can happen kind of game. But it's a bad loss, though. I mean, that's that's what I'm trying to get at it, both of you right here. Do you look at yeah. that? Do you look at Oklahoma, and can you forgive them for losing like that to Texas? I mean, I mean it's affecting my judgment on them a little bit. I mean, it's me a too. rivalry I mean, honestly, game, so I think they'll get the bump. Well, I mean, even Tennessee had them dominated. They did come back on the road. They found a way to win. But these guys were down 17 to nothing. I mean, and Tennessee dominated that entire game. So, if you look at Tech, Oklahoma's wins, Akron, Tulsa, West Virginia, Kansas State, and Texas Tech, there's nobody out there that really jumps out at you and says, wow. You know, I think Oklahoma could be overrated right now, beating up. You know, being the bully again, they're mad. They, Kansas State's terrible, and they blew them out. Is there a scenario in your mind, Jonathan, where the Big 12 gets left out again? 
Yeah, if uh, if nobody's undefeated, I honestly think they could get left out. Um, if you know, we have again another uh, two one-loss teams, and if let's let's say you know, for instance, that Oklahoma is one of those one-loss teams. Obviously, it's a bad loss to Texas, and we saw how they struggled against Tennessee. Um, and if you know Baylor or TC, you know if TCU doesn't keep going at it and being able to kind of you know dominate their games and they keep walking you know sleepwalking through their schedule, yeah, I think they get left out because uh, that conference as a whole, Oklahoma State is going to fall apart. Just just bank on that now. Okay, they're seven and zero, but they ain't played nobody yet, so they're they might finish the year you know eight and four. So I, I, it's a big three, and the big three could wind up killing each other. Well, yeah, hey, then I want to, I want to start. Quinn, is there anything in college football you want to talk about right now? I know I I, I, I control the conversation sometimes, and I think I do it too much. So I want to start with Quinn, and we'll go to Jonathan. Tell me what you want to talk about. What some questions you have? Some topics you want to cover? We're covering it. We're covering it pretty well. Well, Jonathan. No, I, I mean we're we're hitting everything that I, I'm I'm looking forward to. We're avoiding Florida State, so you know I'm happy. I know. Well, Florida State's going to get their chance again, and they may not make the playoffs. But Florida State could be your ACC champion and cause the ACC to get left out. Agreed. I mean, they beat Clemson, and their the ACC's done. I don't know if they're done, but. Since Crazy stuff would have to happen. Um, exactly. it, it was announced today that Dalvin is sitting out this week um, with a quote-unquote ankle injury. And in all reality, that's just Jimbo giving him a week of rest uh, for Clemson. So um, I, I think if we beat Clemson and we beat Florida and we beat whoever the coastal champ is, which will probably be Duke again, who oddly enough might you know be 10-2 and two, and everybody's going to keep saying, well, that's not a good win at Duke. And you sit there and go, well, at what point it says do consider it actually a good team because they've done nothing but win lately. Uh, they are good. Duke's good. Yeah, they yeah, are. I, I mean, they get no respect, yet they just they, they just keep winning. That's all they do. Is, and it, it, it baffles me that they, that they can just keep winning. Well, I want to talk about a topic here in Urban Meyer. Um, well, let me go ahead. If I'm giving you my – as of today, like let's just say today, what I think the best teams in the country are right now, and I just want the people to hear it, I think Ohio State, to me, is still number one because of what they have coming back from that championship team. And I am from the school of to be the man, you got to beat the man. They're defending champions. The BCS will have LSU and Clemson one and two. Um, agree or disagree, it doesn't matter. The BCS is no more. I like Ohio State, but really Baylor to me hasn't done anything to make me think that they haven't beaten anybody. To me, TCU hasn't beaten anybody, so I, I can't put them in there. LSU, I mean, really I'm just not impressed with them. Alabama, I'm impressed with their road wins, so I would probably put them in there somewhere with two road wins over top ten teams. I know they stumbled five turnovers against Ole Miss, but I, I have trouble, guys, after that of seeing who the top four teams in football are right now because they just really aren't. I mean, somebody's going to have to be it. But Notre Dame, looking at all they've been through, all the injuries, they're still winning football games. If they went out, you know, we've talked about that. We've had debates. 
they could easily be named in there. But I just can't, I just can't put my finger on the best teams in the country. Clemson, with what they've done, who have they really beaten? They beat Notre Dame. Um, Notre Dame had a lot of injuries. They barely won that game. And Jonathan, if I remember correctly. Notre Dame really dominated the yardage and everything in that game. They just had some problems getting the ball in the end zone. Yep. Yeah, that that game should have at least gone to overtime. There was there was really some poor coaching on uh, Kelly's part on that when he decided to go for two. Um, yeah. I mean, and then there was just some questionable play calls. I mean, Kelly kind of outcoached himself. Um, I, I still think he's a decent coach, but I think it's a ticking time bomb for him. I'm kind of waiting to see if sooner or later he's going to crack. All right. Well, real quick, a couple games this weekend before we go into the topics, and I know Jonathan's foaming at the mouth to talk about. I'm sure Quinn's going to have something to talk about with it. Um, Quinn's picking Florida to win. Jonathan, are you picking Florida or Georgia? Oh, come on. I mean, you got to ask me that. Georgia, right? I mean, go dogs all, all day. I mean, go Florida State and whoever's playing Florida. And, and the guys, I'm gonna put, I'm gonna go ahead and do this. I'm putting Clemson on upset alert. Going on the road at NC State, they have a quarterback. They have a good team. They're five and two right now. They're getting ten points at home. Jonathan, you know what I think about those ten point home underdogs, man. They seem to win, and Clemson better be careful. Yeah, I have Clemson on full upset alert. This was a game that when I was doing my preseason predictions, I struggled with. Uh, I kept going back and forth with it. And finally I decided, you know what, Clemson, if they're going to lose a game that's, you know, not against, like, Georgia Tech or Florida State, um, or, you know, I, I never thought they'd lose to Notre Dame. Uh, no offense, Clint, but, you know, Death Valley, yeah. Um, I honestly thought this was the game. I thought this was that trip-up game. They've been on the road. Uh, they were on the road last week in Miami. Now you got to go to NC State. Then you got to play Florida State. They're just sandwiched right now, and they might be overlooking NC State. I don't know if NC State's a good team though. Their record, you look at it, and you're like, oh, they look like they could be a decent team. Yeah, no, 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 no. Watch the watch them play against Louisville. Watch them play against Virginia Tech, and they look pathetic. So I, I honestly believe that this is a overrated North Carolina State team as far as the win loss record goes. And if Clemson gets on early, they'll quit. Yeah. Um, Houston, Vanderbilt, I know Houston is a 12-point favorite. Vanderbilt with a little confidence getting their first uh, SEC win under Mason. I don't think it's going to be a real tough game for Houston because I don't think Vanderbilt has the firepower, but Vanderbilt does have a defense. It could be interesting. And uh, Quinn, Notre Dame, Temple, what do you think on that one before we change gears? Oh, man. Um, I think uh, I think Notre Dame gets it done. And uh, I think it uh, in the second half, I think it could get a little ugly. Yeah, Temple's never been in this spot before in prime time, not game, ABC. <laughs> Seven and zero ranked against Notre Dame. Yeah, Jonathan. I mean, I give Temple a puncher's chance. You know, you know, you never know what can happen being at home. Um, Notre Dame does have some injuries. They have been inconsistent sometimes. But what do you think, Temple? Notre Dame. 
I want Temple to win. And, again, this is that whole – I don't care what anybody says. Florida State and Notre Dame have a rivalry, and the fan bases really don't like each other, and we really just don't care. Um, not a fan of Notre Dame. Not a fan of most of their fans. Um, and no matter, I say most because my grandfather is a Notre Dame fan, and I have a really good friend who's a Notre Dame fan, Quinn's a Notre Dame fan, and I like him. So uh, I, I, I'm looking at this, and – I'm hoping Temple can make a run of this. I'm just hoping this is a ball game. What I'm afraid of is Notre Dame's going to be up by 30 at halftime. I'm going to turn this off. I just want it to be fun to the fourth quarter. Yeah, it could be. It could be. And a lot of people are putting Michigan on, on upset alert in Minnesota. I think Michigan wipes the floor with Minnesota guys. I, I know Jerry Kill's retiring, but Michigan, remember what happened to them two weeks ago? Um, they've been yeah. sitting there for two weeks. Over under is thirty eight and a half. So I'm looking at something like a a twenty seven to nine kind of game. Jonathan, what do you think? I mean, I think Michigan covers. Yeah, I, Minnesota obviously is going to have an emotional edge going into the end of this game because of everything that happened with their coach this week, and that was a real shame to see. Um, but. I, Michigan has been sitting on this loss now for two weeks. They're going to come out and they're going to try to make this ugly. And don't think that losing to Minnesota last year isn't sitting in the back of their mind. It is. This is a big revenge game for Minnesota. I mean, for Michigan. I think Michigan, you know, we could be talking about them shutting out an opponent for the fourth time this year. Yeah. So we'll yeah. see, guys. But I want to break. You know, I want to bring in something real quick. And when I when I read this, it kind of made me scratch my head a little bit. But during the bye week, and Jonathan, you probably heard about this. Urban Meyer chimed in on the punishment of Jameis Winston. I'm, did you get a chance to listen to that? I'm going to be honest with you. I couldn't bring myself to watch it. Um, I, I, I did get a chance to see the quote, the text and quote, and I, I was I was disgusted by what he said, and you know it falls back to the adage of those in glass houses should not try to throw. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Really, what he's saying is, you know, with his Ohio State <laughs> team, it's more of a militaristic. You know, he's you know like he's the boss and. Everybody fears him and their team. But if I remember correctly, wasn't Florida the most arrested team in college football under Urban Meyer? And didn't Utah have some issues as well under Urban Meyer? It's just like Will Muschamp came in and cleaned Florida up, guys. He really did. Uh, Setting examples and kicking people off the team, punishing them. Ohio State, you know, wins a national championship, and all of a sudden Urban Meyer is this big disciplinarian. And nobody's gotten arrested as much as Ohio State, but that's probably because they're keeping it under wraps. Quinn, what do you you think about Urban Meyer coming out and taking shots at Jimbo Fisher, saying that he should have been suspended for the crab leg incident? (laughs) I would say he shouldn't have said anything, especially since it's a year later. And uh, he's had his own problems, so I don't think he should be calling any other coaches out because that just will get him called out now probably by quite a few coaches. Well, here's what he said. He says, you know, they're they're talking about 
And Meyer simply referred to his coaching style as militaristic, explaining that he uses small unit cohesion to help push the team towards victory. And he said, now that a lot of big-time teams have trouble, they have kids that are in trouble for one reason or another. Look at, and this is O'Reilly, look at Jameis Winston down in Florida State. He's still some crab legs or something, but that's a guy that's a brilliant quarterback, so they let it go down there. I don't think you would have let that go, right? And uh, Urban Meyer said that would be hard to let go. He, he went on to admit that his teams have had their share of behavioral problems, both at Florida and Ohio State, but current his current book contributes to his 2014 Buckeyes team, which he believes is a template for an ideal team culture and winning programs. I mean, come on, guys. I mean, well, Urban the Meyer, thing is, is, is they baited Urban into talking about Jameis Winston. Because yeah. if I heard if I heard right, the the reporter asked him about the Jameis Winston thing, right? And yeah, he did he not have just... to say anything about it, though. Exactly, exactly. And that's my thing. If man. you're Urban Meyer, here's the thing on Urban Meyer's part. I'm not even going to go into uh, all the troubles with Carlos Dunlap uh, and guys like that. You know, guys who got arrested for DUIs and things like that. When you know, I. I I got two instances at Florida that just stick in my mind. One is he had a safety on his team who got arrested three times before he got kicked off. And the final time he kicked him off because he found out the safety was using a dead man's credit card. I can't remember the guy's name. He's using a dead guy's credit card. Okay. And the second one that bothers me is you had Aaron Hernandez. Somebody that you were openly worried about had Tebow shadow to try and save him or whatever that might be. And then swept under the rug a couple of instances of Hernandez going off the wall. I mean, and you don't think there's no, nothing in your brain says maybe I need to watch what I say here about how I discipline my team because I've let some of these guys skate and it's no knowledge. ESPN did an expose on it. Apple, Apple on Sports, um, Sporting News, uh, the Orlando Sentinel. Who they, they had a pro Gator writer who went off on Urban Meyer about this and talked about how Will Muschamp had to clean up uh, an absolute disaster of a program. Urban Meyer should have said nothing about discipline. He should have said, yeah. let's move on. That's all he had to say. Yeah, he should have said, you know what, everybody has issues and I don't want to judge. I wasn't there. I don't know all the facts, so I couldn't say what I would do until, you know, until I had more information. But, Quinn, I know you said he was baited. Now, you're a, you're a millionaire. You're a national championship coach. You don't get baited into anything. That's, that's just a cheap shot. And you know what? Urban Meyer's a good football coach. Don't get me wrong, but his day's yeah. coming. His day's coming, man. I'm telling you, he he's got a guy in prison for murdering people. For God's sake, that he 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 enabled to do anything he wanted to on campus. Had the police in his back pocket, and uh, well, and if you this read guy's his article, Urban didn't start losing control until he started gunning for the top recruiting class every year. When he just started bringing in new five star recruits after five star recruits, and just brought in top class, and they said that's when he started to lose control. Because these guys came in with a sense of entitlement, and none of the coaches did anything about it. I mean, you had Percy Harvin picking fights and getting into physical confrontations with the receivers coach at Florida, and nobody's doing anything about it. So I, I, I think if you want to look at somebody who's done it right, 
You look at Nick Saban. I mean, it, does he have his share of problems? Yeah, but he brings in five stars after five stars, and you don't hear any issues to where they're fighting in practice. And that always—it seems like that was a, a common a, a occurrence at Florida's practices under Urban Meyer was fighting between players, fighting between players and coaches, fighting between coaches. So I, I think this is where we really need to give Nick Saban a ton of credit for what he's done at Alabama because he hasn't had these same issues. He's had issues with players off the field, but not when they're under his control on the field. You know who I would bring up as a model coach is Jerry Kill. No, no yeah, but, kid yeah, but he doesn't, he doesn't in really trouble get, at all. Yeah, but he he doesn't get the the five stars. You know these guys that no. that are in trouble. Well, what and, I'm saying is keeping people under control is what what my point was. Yeah, well, that's a good point. That's a, that's a good point. Let's speaking about uh, out of control. Ron Mallett, you know he he's not on the Texans anymore, Jonathan. He, he was on there 14 months, but coming out, they're talking about he was late and tardy all the time. I mean, is that the reason he wasn't the quarterback at Houston, or, or do you think he was late because he was pouting because he wasn't the starting quarterback? Well, I think Mallet obviously, he had some issues there, and that has a lot to do with why he wasn't playing. Um, what really struck me, and I think a lot of people noticed it, was when he got benched, and I want to say it was the Indianapolis game, after he got benched, he was caught pouting on the sideline. I mean, he was caught throwing <laughs> a fit. And, and, and I think looking at that, that was one of the reasons. That was a strike. And I think O'Brien gave him a three-strike policy, essentially. And when you miss the team plane to go to work, yeah. you're gone. You're done. I got no time for you're that. You're done. Yeah, you're done. I mean, you're you're showing you're not about the team. You're all about yourself. You're a baby. Ron Malik Quinn, I mean, who's going to pick him up? I mean, I know there's some NFL team out there dying for somebody that can throw a pass 10 yards. So Dallas. where does Ron Mallet end up? I don't know. Really? Yeah, Dallas, he might be right. Well, even – yeah, Matt Castle's terrible. I mean – Aikman's out. So how long is he going to be unemployed right now? What do you think, Maybe a week or two? Yeah, probably a week or two. So I mean, jumped on him. Well, nobody's going to jump on him. He's obviously a, a, a bad egg. So they're going to make him sit for a minute. He's got talent. There, there's no denying that. So I think if Dallas loses again this week, they're probably going to bring him in at least for a workout. I mean, they got to they got to try and solve something there because they're just a mess at quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tonight's um, game, the New England Patriots are are playing, and I just wanted to see they're up nineteen to nothing on the Dolphins. You know, it's it's like the mentally weak teams on Thursday night, Jonathan. They seem to struggle. You know, the teams that aren't that good, if they're their favorite, they struggle. But you saw Seattle take care of business last Thursday night. You see New England taking care of the Miami nineteen to nothing. I mean, as usual. So maybe we're wrong about those Thursday night games. I know it's hard to recover sometimes. It's all about the money, but 
what do you think about Thursday night NFL football games? It seems like the mentally tough teams, the well-coached teams win, but it's these sucky teams that can't perform on Thursday. I agree yeah. with that. I do. Um, I, 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 I don't, you know, and it's, it's true. I mean, I think Miami is a team right now that they're a little fragile. They're, they obviously came in thinking that they were top dogs in the world right now. Um, and I just think looking at it, uh, New England is our, you know the best team in the AFC right now. So for the Dolphins to come into their house on the Thursday night and I didn't think they were going to get anything was, was just a pipe dream. Yeah, I'm just impressed. I mean, you go back and look at the Thursday night schedule. Usually it's terrible teams that play in. You know, the favorite usually doesn't play good at sloppy football, but some of the teams that I see that that are true good teams usually do good, like the Falcons losing to the Saints, I believe, that Thursday night. That shows me that the Falcons aren't really a, a contender in my books. They're just not mentally tough enough. Patriots go in there, it's a job to them. You can tell Tom Brady, hell, he could probably play five or ten more years, man, the way he's looking right now. This guy is just a machine. Belichick's a machine. Uh, he's got those guys rolling. But I'm just I just wanted y'all's thoughts because next week we have the Bengals and the Browns on Thursday night. And I'm interested to see how good the Bengals are. And, and Jonathan, to me, the Bengals could be a team that actually loses that game to Cleveland on Thursday night because I just don't think they are a mentally tough team with Marv Lewis as the coach. Well, Cincinnati had a, a, a play at Cleveland last year on a Thursday night in law. So I, 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 I a, it's the curse of Andy Dalton. If it's not a one o'clock game, he 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 is horrendous um, in his in his NFL career. Um, but also, I mean, I I still don't believe that the head coach for Cincinnati, Marvin Lewis, is a good coach. I mean, does does he consistently win under him? Yeah, but they're expected to. They have a ton of talent. I just don't know yeah. how good he really is. It's only the first round of the playoffs, and they're they're even last was it last year was it last year or the year before where they had like a forty point lead in the fourth quarter over the Colts and lost. I mean, my God, well, what, what does it take to win a playoff game if you're Cincinnati, Jonathan? And how long are you going to let Marv Lewis sit here and just get you to the playoffs every year and and end up choking? I mean, it's, it's kind of like Mark Rick. <laughs> I'm wondering about that, but their owner, uh, Brown, he, he's, he's a cheapskate. So I think he's going to let Mark, you know, he's, he's not going to fire him. He doesn't want to pay him if he's not coaching. So he's going to, you know, and I think he's content because, I mean, they're they're winning enough to they make the playoffs and fans buy tickets and they sell out and they buy the jerseys, you know, and all that kind of good stuff. So as long as they keep making money, they're going to let Marvin hang around. He's not going to get Andy Reid it. Um, you know, he's not going to get you know sent out the door just because he's gotten stale, even though he probably should. Well, Quinn, before we get out of here tonight, man, I just wanted to, to get your opinion on some of these coaching vacancies we talked about last night. Um, so who do you think is going to be the head coach at South Carolina? Or when do you think it will be named? I, uh, I don't know. I think I heard about a name, but actually, but I forget who the name is. I think they might go after one of those hot uh, non-Power 5 coaches. I think maybe uh, 
Tom Herman from Houston or Justin Fuente from uh from Memphis, I think they could maybe go after. I think I think Herman would be a great hire, don't you think, Jonathan? I, I really do. I don't know if he'd leave Houston after one year. I would, but I mean Herman seems like a good coach. He does. Herman has done a terrific job with Houston so far this year, and I'm very impressed uh, by him and what I've seen. I uh, I I think you know he he could leave. Um, I mean, because I, I I don't think anybody would deny that South Carolina is a better job than Houston. Even though I mean, it, it, I think he's going to see suitors, and it's going to be who can throw the most money at him. I think you're going to see that debate between South Carolina and Miami, or auction really on who's going to hire him. And I, I think, you know, whoever doesn't get him might hire Justin Fuente. But from what I'm hearing, Fuente doesn't want to leave Memphis unless it's a really good situation. Um, he doesn't yeah. want to go somewhere and maybe, you know, go through some struggles. And so the, I if think my, that, you know, you, you – I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I apologize. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, I think Bowling Green's head coach is somebody we need to look at. Um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. It's kind of bothering me now. Uh, but Dino, Dino Barbers or something? There we go. I think he's somebody that needs to be looked at. And I think uh, Jeff Brown at West Kentucky is somebody who needs to be looked at, even though he might be holding out for the Louisville job. Because from what I heard, Bobby Petrino's leash is very, very, very short. May I have some breaking news real quick? I don't even know how to say this guy's name. Peyton Bada will start at quarterback for Georgia Saturday. Who is this guy? Uh, he's a highly touted, I believe he's a redshirt freshman, highly touted player. Um, there, there's been a, there was a lot of buzz. Lambert just beat him out for the starting job. Um, uh, and he's very athletic, and, and that's his upside. He's a very strong arm, and he's very mobile. So he's definitely somebody that's going to be interesting to watch him. Um, and see if a dual-threat quarterback can give Florida he, the, tr- the same troubles that uh, Dobbs did. Is he black or white? Uh, he's just <laughs> as good as mine. I think he's actually mixed. Well, start at I'm bet on Georgia then because I'm telling you, man. And I'm not – that's not a racial slur, guys. Seriously, I just – I mean, that's just I'm, – I'm straight up. I love everybody and I hate everybody, so it doesn't matter who you are. But – I just can't. I can't stand Lambert looking at him. If you you're not good enough to start at Virginia, you're not good enough to start in the SEC. But I'm only go back to Miami real quick. That job. If they called me tonight and offered me to come down there, I'd say no, guys. That's how bad that job is. I would turn down the job tonight. There's yeah, but nobody to watch it. Yeah, but I think if they're, I think if the right coach gets in there, they'll be winning in the first year pretty good. Uh, if they can get a good coach, and that's the big if. I mean, yeah, you have well, you, you know. have to. And this is why Charlie Strong would be the guy. You have to get a coach who recruit, who can recruit Florida, and that was strong strength at Louisville. I mean, that's the guy who flipped Bridgewater from Miami to Louisville, got a couple guys out of there. So I think if you you really need a coach who can recruit that area, because Florida State has taken over South Florida in recruiting, and Miami fans don't know what to do. Yeah, they're about to shut down their program, guys. But hey, guys, thanks for joining me tonight. We're going to be back Sunday night. I just thank y'all for coming and joining me for an hour, hour and fifteen minutes to talk some football. 
I've had a good time. Hope you guys have. Uh, Sunday night, yeah. 8.30 p.m. Eastern, we'll do our show. And uh, we'll have a lot to talk about by then. And I think we may have some more head coaching updates. But I'm, I'm tired of hearing Kirby Smart. I mean, uh, come on, guys. Kirby Smart is another Will Muschamp type of coach. Uh, I think he's a good defensive coach that he's not going to be a head coach. And I think people are seeing there's more success with offensive coaches. You look at Florida's new coach right now, you see Gus Malzahn, you see Herman, people like that, Jonathan. They're willing to take more chances with offensive-minded coaches and defensive-minded coaches. Would you agree with that? Oh, I would. And I think it all comes back to you got to score to win. And, you know, there's – there's a way for a team, if you're putting up 40 points a game, you attra- you start attracting the eyes of recruits, and the defense will come. And I- I'm a firm believer in that. Well, I'm praying yeah. that it does for Auburn. I'm praying that this weekend they learn how to play defense because I'm looking to, to, for football to be fun again. And when your team sucks, it's not real fun. So hopefully Auburn can get off the snide this weekend, get me a W. Florida State can get a W. Notre Dame can get a W, and all of us be happy. So, guys, Sunday Wouldn't night at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. You can listen to us now. Go to ultimatesportstalk.com. Check us out there. Uh, they run our show every day. So a lot of listeners throughout the country that didn't know about us are knowing about us now. So we're getting a lot of listeners on their site. We're getting a lot of listeners to our William Sports Talk. So, guys, we're, numbers are going good. So, thank you all for joining us, and we'll see you Sunday night at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. Quinn, Jonathan, thanks again, buddy. Yeah. All right, y'all. Have a good one. You too. You too.